In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome. My name is Kevin Lehman, and I am delighted today to mark the one-year anniversary of the celebrated In Discussion programming and its presenter, David Gibbons. David is a world-renowned interviewer, writer, photographer, filmmaker, and humanitarian. He has been involved in the broadcast arena since 2003, when he made a significant impact with his debut project, 14 Days. His work in understanding the world we habitate and its various peoples continues to fascinate and inspire him to pursue a direct, intellectually honest, and conversational style with world leaders, literature scholars, as well as the ordinary individual. As I mentioned, David is the presenter of the acclaimed show, In Discussion. In the past year alone, he has conducted over 270 interviews with some of the world's most influential people. Whether they be great thinkers, politicians, athletes, writers, entertainers, business leaders, scientists, religious leaders, or other notable philosophic think tanks, David engages them in colloquial but cleverly orchestrated interviews and discussions. He seeks a greater understanding of the world we live in today with an unassuming style and delivery that is uniquely David Gibbons. In Discussion presents hour-long profiles with guests from around the world and covers the full gamut on important issues that affect us all. Having interviewed and collaborated with some of the world's most influential people of our time, David will share his insight on the current events that are shaping our rapidly changing world. His debut 14 Days project took him around the United States in 2004 and then the UK in 2005. A unique collaboration between photography, film, and the humanities, David explored people at their simplest state. More recently, his career is focused on film and writing as he continues to pursue the humanities and arts in reaching for human touch in a high-tech world. David has appeared on numerous television and radio programs, including the BBC, ABC, and CNN across the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland, and the United States. David, it's an honor and a privilege to conduct your one-year anniversary of In Discussion. Welcome. Kevin, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Hey, listen, before we get started, um, I was on your website not too long ago, and I just thought it would be a, a good idea to to express some opinions of people who have uh, been privy to hear your program, and I just thought I would read a couple of testimonials, uh, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, this first one says, I want to express my deepest gratitude to you for all of us on the planet for your seeing, your wisdom, and truth speaking, and for risking all to bring us back to our innate goodness as human beings. And that was from Alana Shaw, the founder of Turning the Wheel. Quite simply, David Gibbons is a powerful presence. His true gift is his calm and gentle intensity. Having myself been interviewed hundreds of times, I can say that David's approach is of the highest caliber, unique to himself. His compassionate and well-thought-out approach to life is mirrored in the studio. Listen with and to David, and you have found the antidote to mediocrity in the media. He knows how stressful life for the listener may be, and through a deep sense of responsibility, has the unique ability to reach them where they are in life. When inspiration and information come together, transformation occurs, and this is how David creates the magic moments he does for his listeners and guests. In short, David Gibbons brings an experience to your world and could change it forever. Be encouraged, inspired, and helped. Make David a part of how you get your information. And that was by Dr. Lee Jampolsky of Carmel, California. Highly intelligent, masterfully prepared, David Gibbons is a messiah of media. His interviewing skills are polished, diamond-dazzling bright. He is very calm and confident because he has dug deep in his research. His work is extraordinary and exemplary. 
coming from a place of deep caring, generosity, balance, and truth. His great heart and visionary mind are helping so many to reach out to inspire others to discover best self and best destiny, unearthing as he has true integrity. By Dr. Susan Anthony in England. You often take your guests back to their childhood, back to the roots, so to speak, of undiscovered pain and joy. So let's start with your childhood. What events in your childhood helped shape the man, David Gibbons? So you're going to reverse the psychology on me now. Are I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for those testimonials. Uh, I know they're somewhat organized, but I have to say that I'm very proud of those. And I try not to reference them too much, but they are from people that I deeply love as mentors of mine as the programs have developed. As far as your question about childhood, I grew up in England, a couple of miles away from Stonehenge, for many years, and remember these profound and wonderful memories, running around the wheat fields of Wiltshire, and spending much time with my mother and father uh, on beautiful evenings, uh, sunsets and, and sunrise, running around Stonehenge and really looking back on it now, realizing that huge celebration that we were traveling through that may not have been so evident back then, but certainly in my mind, always representing a incredible start to one's life. You find yourself becoming one with nature and that is an experience that many don't have, I'm sure, and, and one that I'm deeply thankful for. What was the most influential time of your childhood? Uh, who were the influential people in your childhood that really made a mark on your, your, your growth and your consciousness? My father was a, a very modest man. He, he was uh, in the military. As a young man of 16, he decided to go into the army, the British army, and uh, very modest, very stoic, uh, a, a real Englishman who had very little, had quite a disturbing childhood, lost his mother when he was very young, who actually walked out on his father, which left uh, searing memories in his mind as he walked through life. But necessarily, uh, out of that came a huge determination. He was what I would call my hero in life, as well as my mother. Mm -hmm. I have somebody very close to me now who reminds me of, and I have always known uh, that uh, women in your life are profoundly important to be respected and they both were big figures in my life and to which I owe so much and they allowed me to find myself into photography my father I'm sure would have loved me to uh, go into a more stable profession but when I said to him one day in 1974 dad I'd like to have a camera he took me to Debenhams, the, the store in England, and he put himself uh, into a loan for two years to buy me a camera. And that was something that was profound for me because he allowed me to do what I wanted to do, probably against any intuition that, that he had or he had been conditioned by in his life. He decided to allow his youngest son to really follow his passion. And I've seen some of your photography on uh, on your website. I must say that you are extremely talented. You're, you are a multi-talented man. Sometimes I wonder how you find the time to do everything and accomplish everything <laughs> that you accomplished. Photography was my life for many years, and I think uh, deep down it still is. Um, I grew a passion for photography, which really did begin in the rolling hills of Wiltshire. Um, I spent those uh, formative years with that practica that my father bought me by photographing landscapes and endless skies. And I was fascinated with uh, 
cumulus formations and the, the floating clouds and the way that uh, the, the, the sky above us melted into the land. I don't think I was a particularly good photographer, but I was passionate about it. But I had the foresight early on to see that photography would change dramatically, and it certainly did by the time we reached the early 90s, where digital became a huge paradigm which wiped out an industry essentially. I learnt photography, I understood its principles, I went to college and I spent three years really immersed in it, some of the greatest memories of my life. So it's always stayed with me and I have incredible friends uh, that I absolutely adore who are still in photography and they are struggling with it but they are so uh, devoted to it that they continue. Well, that was your early livelihood too, wasn't it? It was. My my first job when I graduated was with a uh, studio photographer in Southampton, of all places. And uh, looking back, he was an absolute maniac, but an incredibly clever guy. And he taught me a lot as an assistant. And then from there, I became a commercial photographer and then a fashion photographer loved every minute of it, but there was something that told me that it would not be a long-term career prospect for me. So you intuitively knew that perhaps photography was going to lead to something uh, more significant, perhaps uh, you, you knew this early on. I think I did, looking back, it, it was almost not enough for me. Um, even uh, in the late 90s, uh, my now ex-wife and, and daughter returned back to England for a couple of years, and I was a photographer, photographing beautiful houses, spending a lot of time in France on location, and photographing people uh, and, and these amazing uh, residences. And I loved it. I loved that time. But even then, it was becoming the realization that I needed to go beyond that. I, I had received unconsciously this amazing academic experience from my uncle who was a deep uh, philosophical and, and Greek educated man who had traveled through the war himself. And so I, I had always had this education, always been terribly lazy at school, but it, it had obviously stuck. And I was finding myself more um, about finding out what the world was about and writing about that more than I was about the visual stimulus. You know, what I'd like to do is, is work up to your 14 days project. Uh, let's fast forward, if you don't mind, to 2004. You know, what a remarkable project and what a significant impact that that project has had, uh, not just on you, but on, on humanity itself. And I'd like for you to to expound on that, if you would, on what that was about. Why did you do the 14 Days Project? And tell us what the significance and the impact from that program was. It was an unusual set of circumstances, Kevin. In 2001, we were living in England in a beautiful cottage in the country that we rented. And I was at that time photographing very large houses for uh, an upscale, what you would call here in the States, realtor. And that afternoon, I was in a beautiful village called Road, which was actually in Somerset, close to where I was brought up. I was in the back garden, and my boss from the company FPD Savills called me and said, David, I think you should go home. And I said, in my very stoic self, I said, well, I don't think so, Andrew. I've still got some photographs to take. And the, the places that I found myself in day after day were quite sublime. I had inherited a nostalgic feel about England that I think I inherent, inherited from my mother, which is not good. Uh, to to be that deep into nostalgia, but I did have it, and I did live really not in the 90s, but more in the 40s in the way that I uh, looked at life, really because I was in the sticks, where it had not changed that much. 
But I rang um, my then wife and I said, well, what's going on? And she was in front of the television and she said, well, there's, there's a lot of awful things happening in New York and, and uh, it's unfolding. So I reluctantly, on this beautiful summer's afternoon, got into the car, and I'm sure that my story is no different to anybody else's on this dreadful occasion. And I drove back home to our cottage, and we were glued to the television like everybody, probably for 12 or 14, 15 hours. After that, I went away for three or four days, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. Now, this was immediately after 9-11. It was. It was within a day. Mm -hmm. And I had never really written before, and it it wasn't prose or poems or uh, deep emotional content or my feelings. It was uh, more uh, charting something that was ahead of me. And this is what was going to be later called 14 Days. And I, at that stage, was very much in this world, very unconscious, um, still uh, in a world that was a conditioned world that we all grow up in, where you have a career and you have a job and you make money and you have a family and you have your house and, and, uh, and so on. And I found myself immediately becoming attached to the humanities, which w- was very unusual looking back on it because I had no instinct or feeling for that at all. But that's where 14 Days began. Would you say that was uh, the defining moment in realizing the gift or the talent that you have when you interview people and the discussions that you have? I'm I'm enamored, I'm in awe at the level of comfort that your guests have with you. And it seems as though you almost come across as very professional and very polished, as though this is a craft you've honed for for decades. And would you say that it was the 14 Days Project that had you come to the realization that perhaps there is a greater purpose, perhaps there is a more significant um, purpose behind what what you are doing, so to speak. The 14 days evolved through the support of a great friend of mine who sadly committed suicide last year. His name was Michael Gaylord, and he had taken my thoughts and introduced me to Richie Knapp, who is a dear friend, an f- amazing photographer, in 2003 and we came together and we both created this synergy and before I knew it we were planning 14 days in America where we would take a large crew across the country 14 straight days with him photographing in a studio in in what I can only define or describe as a, a, a an Avedon type feel that Richie has of photographing people against a seamless backdrop and me being outside with my camera photographing people and bringing people in. It was very raw, uh, very green, uh, not terribly well thought out. Having now looked back on it, I realize, of course, that it was very profound. But in actual fact, no, at that stage I was still a human being who was suffering from all the human frailties we have of addiction, codependence, fear, everything that you can think of. And it came out in that project. And the second day in Boston, my producer, uh, Paul Sciera, from the Arizona State University, who was an amazing catalyst with this, came outside and he said, David, put the camera away. Everybody is noticing that you are able to go out into the street, talk to anybody, completely disarm them, and bring them into an unknown venue where Richie would photograph them. Within the space of an hour, that second day in Boston, where we are all already exhausted, I'm pushing people to their absolute limit, which was purposeful. I did put the camera down, and I spent the rest of that time, as I did in the UK the following year, simply talking to people. And it was a blessing 
and a gift that I had been given of being able to simply connect with people. Grassroots, it, it, where there was no agenda. It was simply me wanting to embrace people, let them know in me that they've found a friend, and me simply pass them on so that they can be interviewed further and photographed. And there came out of that this amazing synergy between Richie Knapp's photography and my introduction of people to the point where he would be able to photograph them and and Richie Knapp uh, through that although we fought bitterly on both journeys realizing now that I've come to love this man for giving me so much as hopefully I've given him and we both I believe live and breathe this project and hopefully one day we'll see it occur again. Now this is something that uh, I doubt few people uh, realize and that is just how many folks you spoke to during that period of time it, it was in the thousands it's hard to say I was driven for the entire 14 days on the principle that I think that I had learnt from my father that you lead by example I think looking back on it, I was excessive because I would actually lead my, leave my crew to complete disintegration. But I believed in driving myself and driving them to a point where you become so out of yourself and so creative, so forgiving. Uh, you get to a point where nothing else matters but connecting with people. And eventually we did. And I remember at the end of the second journey in England, taking people back to Heathrow, particularly my dear friend Dana Hersey, and looking at him on the curb as I dropped him off, and he looked wrecked, and yet they have all come back, apart from a couple of people, and, and said that it was the most amazing experience. And I take no, um, I take nothing from that myself, I believe it was a great experience for who they met, for that experience of being able to connect with other people, see so many people. And it becomes very emotional because you know it's very unlikely that you'll ever see them again. Yeah. But the honor of being able to just touch somebody once and have them recorded, have them interviewed, have them photographed is at this stage when you look back at it, very profound. Was that the inspiration for In Discussion? In Discussion came about, I think, because I had gone through 2007 and 2008, like many friends, through an economy that had disintegrated. I had wandered for some years between photography and writing and being in production. And In Discussion came about uh, in the spring of 2009 when friends in England said, look we are going towards the internet give this a go you may not have been well versed in radio before but you certainly have been in film and we think that you can work with the whole spectrum of areas of discussion i went into it blind and realizing looking back on that that it was a very great risk going into the internet now I can sit here and say that it was the best risk. Uh, being surrounded by the people I am uh, here, uh, the World Talk Studios who embraced this and followed me and follow me today. And you get to a situation now where you have a large audience and it's, it's a way of saying to you inside that you took the right road. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I first came across your program in discussion when I was perusing uh, the Internet because I am of the belief that, uh, you know, social media and the Internet is going to be the new brand of, of media, authentic, transparent, and, and direct media. And in my research of, uh, of who are the authoritative voices of authenticity, out here that's really covering the humanities I came across your program and when I perused your website and uh, began listening 
to your various shows and interviews your program and something about your um, your your purpose your your whole demeanor that really resonated with me and I remember one time just by happenstance uh, hitting on uh, uh, one of your interviews and you were discussing uh, the Bible you were discussing uh, the chapter of Genesis and it caught my attention because the gentlemen um, that you had on your show I knew immediately were Christian apologists you know they knew what they were talking about and I was immediately uh, you know um, it captured my attention because I've studied, uh, you know, Christian apologetics to a degree, particularly over the last six to seven years. And when I heard your discussion with these two gentlemen, um, I was amazed at the level of comfort as well as your uh, preparedness. I thought, my gosh, is this guy also a, uh, you know, a, an apologist? Are you also a theologian? And it was very amazing to me the the level of comfort as well as uh, your ability to communicate at their level as well as your ability to communicate at the level of almost every guest that you have on because I've spent quite a bit of time going through your archives and listening to a lot of your shows. And the one thing that I saw that's a common denominator with you is your ability to communicate at the same level as your guest and somehow find the the mode uh, of, of not just their, their thought process, but but somehow being able to mirror. And, and I don't even know that mirroring is the right term here, but your ability to match not only their intellect, but their their whole demeanor. And you you put them at ease. And it seems as though you're able to bring out the core essence of your guests' um, deepest feelings and their deepest uh, their deepest thoughts. I think the gift that I've been given is disarmament, for no other reason that people should be allowed to voice their experiences, to be able to voice their hearts, to be able to talk about what they need to talk about, wrong or right. What ha happened at the beginning is I, I found myself personally um, having a traumatic experience, losing my family, finding myself homeless, finding myself on my own, and researching hours and hours and hours every day, which fundamentally supported a foundation that I had already received earlier in life but it's a very important position to be in and when I walked into the studio the very first time uh, this time last year I realized that it wasn't about the guest I realized it was not about me I realized that I was on a journey as those behind me are that in order to find yourself in order to eradicate those human frailties, you really do have to lose everything in order to gain everything. And I had been taught that by people around me. And that turned into a different dynamic. Four or five months into the programs, I became mentored by incredible people who came to me unknowingly into my life to love and help me with what I was trying to achieve. When you first envisioned uh, in discussion, when you were first uh, putting that program together, you know, what were your original thought? Uh, what were your original thoughts and vision for the program when you first uh, conceptualized it? And tell us if the program today is still along the same lines of what you originally intended or thought that it would be? At the beginning, the programming was designed where I could be multifaceted, where I could cover, as I do, anything from world affairs through current affairs, academics, entertainment, literature. I didn't know at the beginning that I would be able to achieve it. The programming today has not changed 
because of anything that I have purposely tried to affect it with. It has changed because the world has changed over the 12 months because of the way that I've been mentored by incredible people in my life, even those who perhaps I feel have hurt me or betrayed me. I even look at them now and I thank them for taking me down this journey. But the program has changed because our world has changed. Our world is unlike any other time. I could sit here uh, for hours uh, talking to you about the natural implosion of civilizations, the uh, social history of our world for the last three or four hundred years as we've seen a, a, a feudal society turn into an industrial society. Today our world is evolving as people like Barbara Marx Hubbard, considered the greatest futurist of our time, is discussing and talking to now, that shows that our world is going through an evolutionary process, a rebirth. And some people say to me, well, why now? And of course it isn't something that's occurring overnight. I do truly believe, and as my work right from the beginning always drew a line in the sand with the period around the Second World War, that that's when this evolution began. I think that we as human beings set off a chain reaction with our nuclear capabilities in Japan, where it became evident that our world could not continue. That was made worse by the fear of the 50s, the lust of the 60s and 70s, and what I call the predatory greed since. And we now have reached a time when attribute it to the uh, Mayan calendar or the shamanic teachings, uh, you can put it down to anything you want to. It is quite evident that we are in a world now where we cannot continue the way that we are. And that, in answer to your question, has further evolved in discussion more than it has me purposely, but at the same time, through that recognition and this level of consciousness that you receive because you are mentored by some of the greatest people in the world and you are a recipient of this knowledge and information. Therefore, that's why the program has now developed the way it has. You've conducted over 270 interviews just in the past year alone. That is almost unfathomable for me because I know the research and the work that goes into just doing one show with one you know, guest. And um, in that time, what have, you, what have you brought away from the experience at this point? Because I know you've interviewed a lot of influential people in the arts, the sciences, uh, politics, entertainment. Is there a common thread? Is there a common theme uh, that you've taken away from the experience at this point to come to any type of uh, new conclusion? In other words, uh, have those interviews influenced you and have uh, do you foresee a paradigm shift if you will that's taking place on a worldwide basis and if so in what direction would you say it's going as a result of the you know what you've learned from the interviews you've conducted over the past year i have been very fortuitous and i feel very blessed uh, there have been a set of paradigms occurrences that have taken place that I could never have dreamed of. When you're interviewing people like the Bill Tillers and the Lute Vanderveens, the Klaus Heinemanns, the Lee Jampolskis, the celebrated actors like Michael York, you know that it's beyond something that you can conventionally recognize in your mind. It is some sort of divine process and you're being blessed with it and these are amazing people with amazing wisdom 
who have loved me and mentored me along the way and I have recognized myself for simply allowing them to expand upon their theories and their thoughts without saying too much. Michael York was a real stepping stone for me. Michael York was the man who came back afterwards, a huge honor, who said that David Gibbons is a listener. And I am a listener. And I think it's very important for all of us to be listeners. But recently I've had many people come into my life, many amazing people very close to me, who have taught me that we are all mirrors to ourselves, that we are in one universe, we are each of us, the universe, and that our world is changing so dramatically that we have to really go back to our childhood and in what my dear friend Susan Anthony would term go through the breakdown to break through. And you mentioned my programs on Genesis, which I began right at the beginning with two dear friends. I enjoy them because they're academic. I enjoy them because I'm well read in that area. I also, looking back now recently over the last couple of months, growing up in England, realizing that I was very much influenced by and living in a Christian environment, see that that Judeo-Christian conditioning that we receive means that we have to remain very quiet, suppressed, and that we have to allow others to run over us, which I think we're seeing in society now. I'm not saying or offering some sort of anarchy in saying that. What I am suggesting is that in my own journey now, I'm learning to become angry with myself for not saying how I feel, for not living in true integrity. I think it's a time when, if you're asking what, I've, what I have, have I come out with most out of these programs? It is that we can no longer look at the dark. We have to look at the light. We have to have solutions. We have to love each other. This is not some sort of uh, 60s, what I would call, paradigm. Because I truly believe in the 60s, as well as they were uh, intentionally, they certainly back then um, knew how to uh, destroy the building but not to rebuild it. We are in a time now where we are arriving at a point where the world must change, that we must respect each other, that we must find ourselves as human beings. And if you're asking the most important thing that I gain out of these programs is we must live in full integrity and full truth, even if it hurts others. We must be true to ourselves. We must see a world now where we are not benefited by nature, but nature benefits from us as human beings. And that's the same with money. Money must benefit from us now. We cannot benefit from money. And so I travel through this with all these guests. You become very conscious of what is going on around you. You realize the potential. And I have dear friends who work on these programs with me, like my great friend Pat O'Brien, an investigative journalist who looks at the darker sides of life. And, and this amazing man knows how to do this and yet do it with tact and integrity. And sometimes it's good to do that. But most of all, what I've come out with these programs is look at solutions, be blessed for what you have, and know that ahead of us we have a changing world that is going to be quite incredible to our future generations. Talk to me about the bridge program and dimensions. 
if you would elaborate on that and uh, tell us how you're you're bringing both programs in discussion and dimensions how how are they how are you how are you bringing those together how are how are you combining the synergy of those two programs well in discussion was the main vehicle and always will be and to some extent i look at the guests not all of them some of them still in this world who are reluctant to change simply not knowledgeable enough to change and not conscious to change and I looked at another channel dimensions and decided that I wanted to look at the scientists who are working towards for example with Dr. Irvin Dardic zero-point energy pushing back against 300 years of the Industrial Revolution where you have a, an energy that creates an opposite and equal reaction which in our world is pollution. And zero-point energy is around the corner where humans will be able to um, have a cleaner world, will be able to er eradicate the huge uh, pharmaceutical industries that have to be around to push back against the pollution that we all have but they won't be required and with that many other things follow we won't be conditioned uh, we won't be conditioned as we have for so many generations as our parents were conditioned as we were conditioned we will have uh, a zero point uh, paradigm where nature will be alleviated of all these stresses and in that human beings will be as well and so I look at all of these. They are a, a world that have to be bridged. And so I bridge my guests on in discussion, uh, where appropriate, with leaders and people from the public who are knowledgeable and understand where we're going. Bring them together. And I began this with my first program uh, a couple of weeks ago with quite extraordinary results that even I could not believe and all I'm doing is bridging people with the help of others very close to me who mentor me and help me to bring people together let me ask you this David you know I think the world as a whole understands and realizes that we have to find some sort of common ground we have to find unity with regards to the, the major, major problems that are confronting us economically, um, you know, climate control, ideologically, philosophically. Um, we, obviously, we have, our, uh, we have our issues with uh, terrorism right now. You know, we have, uh, you know, holy war jihad that's, uh, you know, that's taking place. And we're also in the information age. And there is this, I believe, knowledge is doubling at this point every seven years. So people have, for the first time perhaps because of the Internet, people have equal access to broad knowledge. And you can pretty well educate yourself on just about anything you want to educate yourself on with the stroke of a button. And even with, you know, the problems that the world is being confronted with right now, because there's no doubt I think everyone would agree that there's a seismic shift that's taking place on a worldwide basis. Of course, some would argue that, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, depending on what camp you talk to, some would argue that this is just falling in step with uh, Bible prophecy. If you're a, uh, uh, you know, a premillennial dispensationalist uh, believing that, uh, you know, the, the plagues of revelation are still in our future, some would claim that this is just falling in line uh, with revelation and the fact that we're headed towards that new world order, so to speak. You know, you have such ideological divides, philosophical divides, and people are very, very opinionated in their approaches to solving some of these, these worldwide problems. How is it? What is going to be the mechanism? What is going to be the main thrust for breaking through and transcending bipartisanship. You know, we have like in here in the United States, you got the Republicans, you got the Democrats, and now the Tea Partiers. You know, to use that as an example, what is it going to take? What is going to be the mechanism to transcend 
all of our differences, philosophical, theological, you know, intellectual, ideological differences, what needs to transpire and how do we get the ordinary person? How do we get every single solitary person to speak up and say, hey, enough is enough. How do we galvanize the people, the common people, to finally step up to the plate and say, okay, we are informed, we're educated, we have access to this knowledge, we see you know, the indiscretions of the major corporations, uh, the, the world financiers. What is it going to take? Clearly, we are looking for solutions. We are solution-led now in a very severe and changing world. I think the good news in response to that is that it's going to take care of it all on its own. We have reached a point in our history where this predatory greed, this do-consume society, is going to come to an end. We're facing uh, an evolution that has probably not been seen for thousands of years. It is a cellular change in us as human beings to dissolving all of those human frailties, dissolving the political systems that we have, dissolving the corporate mansion, and finding ourselves at the end of this, which is now, which we are going through now, as becoming Christ-like. And it is very evident to me in my work and in the people that are mentoring me, the people that call me. It is an unstoppable movement. The time to talk about the issues of the Illuminatis, the corporate mansions, the greed, can now stop because it will it will stop on its own. We're getting to a time now where people are going to wake up across the board. Those who don't, they don't. You can talk to different scholars, different experts, different people about what word to use to define this. I think the best way to define it is this word, this terminology I hear more and more, and that's ascension. And ascension is where people are going to find a different dimension, a different level of consciousness. And on their own, whoever they are, this darkness, that is so accentuated by the main media, the main media themselves are, are going to disappear very quickly because people won't hit, want to hear about it anymore. And the more that we talk about it, the more power we give them. But we are definitely in a time now where we are becoming more Christ-like. And if you want to talk about it in theological terms, then call it the Holy Spirit. If you want to talk about it in galactic terms, uh, call it a, a, a universal um, solution where we all come together as one, where we do become fully conscious. If you want to talk about it uh, as the, uh, the conscious scholars talk about it then we go from a third dimension through to a fourth and finally a fifth where we are fully conscious it doesn't matter at the end of the day we are going to all walk on the same path and that is approaching now we have systems in place whether it's the financial sector or the political system that are clearly no longer working people now across the board are looking for the yellow greens and yellows and all the colors of the rainbow they're not looking for the political system that we have now. They're not looking for uh, the political system or even the religious organizations that we've had. They're simply looking for this divine unified spirit that says that we're all one, we are all the universe, and therefore collectively we are all the universe. And I think that my work and in discussion, I would be very clear that in discussion belongs to everybody and not me, is designed so that people can keep hearing the truth, can feel that integrity that I try every day to provide on my journey, which is not easy. Integrity is not hard, but continuing in a world that is pulling you all the time, 
is tough. It would be a lie to say that it wasn't as a human being. But I find in my journey that I am achieving that, that I have forgiven others that have betrayed me, that I do support others. As I can sit today and look over this table and say to you, I love you as another human being, a galactic being of this universe. I know that you have loved ones and I praise that and at the end of the day we're all here to support each other and I truly believe that we are going in that direction. Well David, uh, it's, it's been my honor and my privilege to have the opportunity to be the one person to conduct your one-year anniversary of Indiscussion. I can't, uh, I can't tell you enough how much I greatly appreciate the opportunity uh, to do this show for you. And I can't uh, tell you enough either how much impact you have had on so many people and the impact you're continuing to have. And I wish you nothing but continued success with this just, just tremendous project and this tremendous journey that you were on. I thank you. Thank you, David. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.